Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The main team. Mega Bears fan. Welcome to Polycast 372. I'm Makalua, and with me as usual, Canis Albinas. So, uh, there's this thing going on on Tuesday. We should vote. Nimi and team? Trying not to get riggedy wrecked by Canis. <laughs> and Mega Bears fan. I used to listen to the show while I would jog. Now I wish that I could record the show while jogging. It would save me so much time. But the sounds. <laughs> bark, bark, been... bark. <laughs> you just have to be in really good shape. Like, better shape than any of us has probably been in. And it would still sound odd, but, you know, could work, maybe. I just am having flashbacks to the time when there was a guy in one of our chat groups who used to walk around in Romania where there's wild dogs everywhere, and he's just barking, <laughs> fighting off dogs with a stick, apparently. And just like, please don't bring that into the chat. We don't need that. Now, when you say wild dogs, do you mean, like, like actually wild dogs or, like, domesticated dogs that turned feral? Feral dogs, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But basically the same thing, except genetically. Yeah. I mean, it's been solid, cloudy for a week in Texas, and I'm like, I wish I could go record the podcast outside, because it's a beautiful, clear sky. Yeah, yeah. We had a clear sky today, too. Do it while running. After the rain we had from Zeta. <laughs> yeah, it was 90 degrees here, like, last week. So it finally decided to uh, drop down into the low 80s, which is, you know, good morning and early evening walking and jogging weather took long enough but it's finally here yes actual falls decided to make an appearance at least for a couple of weeks and it will only be in the 60s and 70s for the highs here finally yeah it was crazy we had a day where the high was 92 and like the next day the high was like in the 60s like overnight there was Mm -hmm. the the temperature dropped to like 40 it was weird like fall fall hit and it decided to hit like a ton of bricks (laughs) <laughs> he's like Wait thinking of summer child that's like that all i get have. you should hear some of the stories we have up here in the the real temperate lands of indiana where <laughs> we can have 70 degrees one day and blizzard the next that's crazy there are places like where my ancestral homeland is which is out by des moines there's there are have been years where you go from 80 degrees to negative 10 in one day and uh that's quite a whiplash. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we only go from like 80 to 40 and back. That's about it. That's the general experience here. Usually when you have those wild temperature swings, though, you get thunderstorms. So. Well, where I live, you always get thunderstorms anyway, so it's yeah. hard to notice even. We could you use just get them regardless. We could use a good one of those here. I think we're approaching 200 days without a drop of rain. You're right. in the desert, though. Yeah, but, but it still rains on a regular-ish it, basis. Yeah, like, August and September is supposed to be, like, the, quote, monsoon season here, and we usually get pretty good rainstorms and actually quite a bit of flooding because this city has, like, terrible uh, irrigation and drainage, but nothing this year. Not a drop, not even a cloud, I think, through the whole month of August. It was bad. Yeah, that's not good. In areas that are naturally dry, you really want the rain.
guys of this recording. It is October 31st. Happy Halloween, everybody. And we have October patch notes for Civ. So happy Civween. Civoween? Civweenie. Whatever. <laughs> so. Civweenie. Yeah. We've got some pirates. We've got some balance changes. Uh, and we've, yeah. A little bit of game speed scaling in here. A little bit of AI slash UI tweaks. You can start wherever. I do, uh, I do like that they nerf batted Columbia a little bit. Yeah, I kind of saw that one coming. The game's a little less overtuned with the DLC content now. Although I, I'm not happy that they nerfed the surround and pound strategy for them. Yeah, we specifically it, talked about that last time as like the one thing that we hope they don't do. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So what do we get exactly that thing? <laughs> And uh, as far as I know, do the do the great generals still stack with the commandante generals, or is that something that was in fact removed with the previous patch? Did anyone bother it, to look that up? It doesn't say in the patch notes. Um, either way, other than that, you don't stack the movement bonus any longer because the commandantes don't give you the movement bonus. Right. Uh, so I don't know if the strength is still being uh, like according to the patch notes. We should still anticipate this, that the strength would stack, but I haven't tested it in game. Unless it was, like I said, nerfed in a previous patch, and we've all just forgotten oh, yeah. about it. That could be, yeah. Well, we wouldn't expect it to. Be, uh, we wouldn't expect that to happen this patch, based on what we're seeing here. Incomplete patch notes that would never happen. And yeah, there was a not game with fully complete patch notes. <laughs> and there was a minor buff or a minor nerf to the hacienda, but it got a little bit of a buff to kind of, sort of, maybe make up for it. It now provides less housing, but it is not affected by drought, national disasters. So, it says it can be in the. Oh, can be. I'm sorry, I totally misread that. Oh, it was immune before, and now it's not. Basically. Yeah. So sorry, two small nerfs, which again we were like, yeah, no reason to nerf the hacienda. Apparently, Firaxis disagreed. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, when do I remember to build the Hacienda? Well, the Haciendas are good. Like, you just spam them, and then they, they buff each other and surrounding tiles. So they're, you know, you should not not be building yeah. them. They weren't crap improvements before, but, you know, they weren't... Oh, no. They weren't the thing that was, you know, potentially breaking <laughs> Grand Columbia. Yeah, there you go. They also uh, fixed forest fires and meteor showers on AF Yaliokal, so that's good. Yes, now it will now it will explode when, with soothsayers during apocalypse mode, which it yeah. should have been doing that anyway. And I noticed and also that they being able they, to rebuild your districts. That yeah, thank you. And I noticed they put that name in like all caps, <laughs> as if uh, <laughs> as if to help us maybe enunciate it a little better. They, uh, I think there's some some marks above the A's or O's in the proper spelling, but mm -hmm. it's. Anglicized well enough, I think. <laughs> I, I hate those marks above things. Typing them on a US keyboard is just not happening. And then I never learned them as a result. Uh, I do wish that they would uh, put uh, what the old values of stuff were. Because I see that the next thing talks about trade city-states giving 2, 4, and 6 gold as envoy envoy bonuses and i forget what they were before i thought two, One, four, two and three. Oh, okay so they buffed trade city states yeah pretty sure they did specifically trade city states 
<laughs> vampires count free cities as barbarians. Yeah, fair enough. They more or less are. Dramatic Ages no longer treats repeated Dark Ages as a negative Golden Era threshold store. <laughs> uh, whoops. Someone forgot a line or two there. Well, if you, what that'll do is it'll make you do at least one thing to get your Golden Era rather than nothing, I guess. The really interesting thing, I think, is um, in the espionage, which is that spy missions can no longer uh, be performed in cities uh, in which uh, you have an alliance with that player. I thought about this. This is good, because in multiplayer, very often, because Grim is usually so far ahead in tech, I'm always stealing Eureka's off of him. It's like, I can't do that anymore, dang it. Well, and and I would have to be at war, though, right? You you only have to not have an alliance. Correct, which I I believe means a friendship is still fair game. Yeah, yeah. the alliance is, is so useful, particularly if you're close enough to have borders where you can do the economic and you can make a lot of gold off of that. So it's like, ah. Uh. Yeah, that's yeah, a that that's too. a huge that's a big disincentive to uh, to ally with the like really good civs in the game because you know eventually you're going to want to be doing things like disrupting their factory production and blowing up their spaceports mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So well, uh, alliances aren't permanent, for better or worse. So kind of annoying, but uh, well, I mean, until you disable them or whatever, like you, you they auto cancel after a while. So yeah, you can ally these, with these nations throughout the game and then just not later and still sabotage them. True. It was not a particularly popular change. A lot of people were belly aching about it. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering what the what the justification was that uh, that led to Firaxis making this change. I, I like. I mean, I can kind of see why. Like, common sense would kind of tell you that you know you shouldn't be sabotaging uh, someone who you know you have a really close alliance with. But like at the same time, you know, as we've talked about in the past, this is a competitive game. Like, you don't win the game together with your allies. So, like, you know, an alliance is still just kind of an ends to a means to pacify another player, you know, long enough for you to get a win in the context of this game. Yeah, Yeah, so... Or means to what an I end. Just, yeah, sorry. It's it's morning. Just, it's it's nine a.m. here. I'm still sleepy. No, I, I like that expression. I'll have to try to find use cases for that. What I suspect it has to do with is... They can't give espionage versus alliances um, crap grievances because that would cause betrayal emergencies. And the player doesn't need the AI getting into betrayal emergencies that often. So this is kind of what I suspect is a stopgap measure to prevent um, problems with... Like, they, they see allies spying on each other frequently is a problem but they can't they can't like make it more costly because if they do it destroys the alliance and causes emergencies if you know what i mean yeah no that's a that's a valid point i hadn't really considered that in part because i think it's been a year since i've seen my last betrayal emergency pop up in a game so uh i, I don't know if those were just reduced in frequency or if i'm just not seeing them but the AI doesn't usually trigger them. Yeah, I remember when Gathering Storm, or was it Rise and Fall that they were introduced in, or Gathering Storm? Well, I remember the expansion that they were introduced in. I saw a lot of them for, like, the first few months of playing that expansion, and then they just kind of disappeared at some point. I don't remember when. For me, anyway. My experience might not necessarily be your experience. I do still see them sometimes. 
What's next on the list of things that they added in this DLC pack? Not DLC expansion. No. Wait, don't forget patch. that the don't forget the nice partisans mission chain. Oh yeah, pillages neighborhoods only spawns anti-cav units in tacit admission that anti-cav units are underpowered. I feel like that was in the <laughs> previous patch because I'm pretty certain we talked about that like an episode or two ago. Yeah, we talked about in the it. Patch, so. We talked about it last time because it was in the preview video. Oh, okay. Yeah. Game speed scaling. Favor cost of voting, aluminum cost for Lagrange point laser and space race projects, aluminum cost for nuclear weapons, uranium, faith from initiation rights, Pantheon and barbarian camps. Great people points earned from Alfred Nobel, amount of gold obtained from a barb camp. Tile game, uh, science game from Fez, and several promotions and other bonuses have been set to scale, including the Tier 1 Naval Raider promotion, Gorgo's Thermopylae ability, God of War Pantheon belief, Native Conquest uh, Rough Riders from Gathering Storm, kills from the Mendekalu Cavalry, and Nihong's Tresumul promotion. Yeah, there was something else in there about that wasn't. What was it? It was needed to Unit scale experience better. is no longer scaling with game speed. Yeah. That's an interesting change. Yeah. yeah um, I think that's a correct one, though, because getting less experience because you're on a faster game speed is kind of uh, busted. Because it's going to block you from getting high-end promotions, even if you're doing a fair amount of fighting. And it's already, like, fast speeds are already unduly punitive to marching armies and fighting with them compared to slower game speeds. So you have that effect in play anyway. Like, you're already going to get less experience because there's already fewer turns to move relative to other things happening. So it makes sense to not scale that. I would think that it would be the other way around, that on a faster game speed, uh, i.e., you know, online or quick, you would get more experience per combat so that you do get the promotions more quickly. You could make a case for that, yeah. Um, but I, I think it was the other way around, right, previously? I don't know. I typically play on standard game speed, so... <sighs> I play on quick for Dan Q. <laughs> yeah. Rock bands can no longer play on pillage districts and buildings. <laughs> I kind of feel like there should maybe be like a special rock band like mission for that, like a charity event or something like that to rebuild it. Live Aid? Yeah. Yeah. Or was it Live Aid? I can't remember. It's something like that, yeah. I think there might have been one of each. There was Live Aid, Farm Aid, a couple of other things, yeah. Like, wasn't there one... I know there was one for the 2004 tsunami, but wasn't there one, like, in the 90s? Even in the 80s. In the like, 80s, even? Yeah. Cool. I have. I was not alive at the time, so I don't remember. 80s. I remember 80s. <laughs> I was pretty young in the 80s, but I was around for them. I was alive for eight months in the 80s. That's it. Oops, I just revealed my age. Never mind. <laughs> That's right. You're just making all of us jealous. Canis has revealed himself as the mayor. Whoops. Oh, that's a bad strategy. Before the first night. Oh, no, <laughs> I got the achievement, but I'm dead. Yeah. 
Horizon <laughs> so, armies no longer uh, add a bon- add bonuses to the uh, to the unit that gets made out of the com- combination that were supposed that were supposed to be temporary because of the great general. Apparently, you could soup up your cores and armies by doing it within range of a great general. Yeah, I wonder what exactly was being applied there. Like, were you keeping the movement? Were you keeping something yeah. else? Yeah, I, I, we've okay. talked about that in, in the past. Uh, I thought that had been fixed a, a while ago, though. Like, I had stopped deliberately trying to do that because I thought it had already been fixed. But yeah, yeah I, it, I'd been making them outside, like, yeah, the, closer uh, to when I produced the units. The, the general combat... Uh, and I think maybe also the movement bonus were accidentally being added to the core or army as a permanent promotion. Yeah, that's bizarre. I miss all the fun bugs. Uh, that one would oh. be amazing, because if you if you had the Great General in range twice and got the strength bonus twice... I don't think that was the case, though. I do not think it's stacked with a new Great General. You just got the the bonus permanently. Okay, alright. I could be you wrong, fun but I... bugs, Mackie? Just wait. <laughs> we got plenty of topic for that. Yeah, apparently. AI changes. Oh, wait. Nor- Netherlands bonuses towards flood barriers actually works now. Yay. For the AI, the AI is no longer interested in diplomatic favor in the ancient and classical era. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> by my diplomatic favor or by this diplomatic? Yeah, seriously. Well, reduced interest, so I assume they will still trade for it and give you stuff, but it'll just be a heck of a lot less. They yeah. also reduced it in reduced desire for for dip favor in general. Um, Oracle and pyramids are more properly. Uh, uh, desired by the AI. AI repairs city defenses more promptly. Wall that wall repair project is now increased based on the value of the city. So you know, basically a back end way of saying AIs want to make their city defenses better. They might repair their walls. Reduce Maybe. the number of spaceports. Reduced value of faith if they already have high faith income. Re- uh, improvements to protect settler units. I'll believe it when I see it. But yeah, it'll be nice. About dang time. <laughs> they said that once before. I'm just saying. Well, it's an improvement. They didn't say that it's fixed. They just said it's improved. That's true. <laughs> as, as long as it is at least somewhat better than previously, that is a true line. You're but- right. So the AI will now go from completely ignoring settler units to maybe kind of sort of thinking about possibly uh, forming a committee to consider protecting the settler unit. Watch, it's going to have like a screen of six units surrounding settlers at all times. (laughs) Well, that would definitely eliminate the, uh, the surprise war decks to steal the settler. That's for sure. Yeah. That would technically be an improvement, air quotes. It would, be, it would improve the protection of the settler. I don't know if it would improve, improve the effectiveness of the AI, but hey. <laughs> I think it would be neat if they uh, made it so that captured settlers actually found cities that are like halfway loyal to the civilization that uh, originally created the settler, so that you actually have to work a little bit to uh, make that city loyal. And if you settled it too close to the other civilization, it would just flip anyway. 
and that would be a way of reducing the uh, exploit of just stealing settlers from the AIs at the beginning of the game. I don't think it would change much in practice. It would just make you have you to don't be a settle lot into more. loyalty pressure normally, anyway. Yeah, unless it, you have, unless you can back it up. It would just make you have to think a little bit more. You know, be a little more thoughtful about where you put that stolen city. Yeah, I but, guess. But you're right. It it might not make much of a difference long term. Well, because there's no like baseline culture rating like there wasn't before. Like you don't have a twenty percent. Uh, Spanish and 50% French and then, you know, whatever else other cities all pushing on this uh, that influences the population of the city. Instead, you know, like once you push a city to max loyalty, it's putting pressure. I really do wish they would would bring that back. I think it would be really cool if, like, you could hover over, like, each citizen in the like city panel and it would bring up a little tooltip that would tell you this citizen is originally roman and is catholic and you know so and so and so i think i think that would be a cool feature and then they could actually apply loyalty pressures and religious pressures and stuff like that based on you know that sort of stuff and then we can have people trying to wipe out populations well yeah fun in a game yeah we haven't seen that since so far There may be a reason that got removed, even though we like the well, gameplay idea of it. Yeah, it is. There's people who were trying to do the cultural reappropriation thing in EU4. It brings back more recent memories than so far, perhaps. But yeah, yeah that was a Doom uh, enterprise, though. Yeah, only because they had, they did that in the patch. Changed everything so, on us. We could so do it now. We could so do it. Whatever. It's uh, a little off topic from Civ, I guess. People are like, what the heck is reappropriation? Yeah, we were doing a culture converting run in uh, EU4, but they run tanked because Paradox dropped a pretty significant patch on us in the middle of those recordings. Paradox does like to do that. Yeah, well, it, it, like, it broke religious conversions for the better part of a couple of years, maybe. I mean, not, you could still technically convert, but it was impractical. So, yeah, I've been really, yeah, I've been really you, you enjoying convert as a result. <laughs> I've been really enjoying Crusader Kings three so far, but I do, I am so wary of you know the inevitability of them releasing like patches that completely change mechanics that I like and and breaking things and screwing up my save files and all that stuff because I know they did it. It's the reason I stopped playing Stellaris. I've kept my eye on CK3, but it just seems so feature incomplete compared to CK2 for now. But, like, I'm not inclined to go for it. Well, that's going to happen anytime you release a sequel to a game that has lots of expansions and DLCs. Yeah. The exception to that was Civ, 4, 6, Civ 5 to Civ 6 didn't seem like that big a step down. No, no it wasn't. True. Civ 6 had almost everything Civ 5 had. Yeah, and then it's added more more with it. So we hope we're going to have a similar step whenever Civ 7 comes around. That It feels like even just the base game is a complete game and everything else is just like icing on the cake. Yeah, Civ 6 yeah, was a yeah. rare exception to that rule. But I just remember in the past, you know, every time like a new Sims game would come out, it's like, oh, they got to resell you all the same DLCs. We got to oh, have a, gosh, we gotta yeah, have a Pets true. DLC. We got to have a College DLC. We got to have a DLC where you go to work with your Sim. Same DLCs every time. Yeah, you gotta have no. a DLC to do the laundry. Civ's gonna have that 
it, like every time they're going to start with the baseline number of civs and then add civs and DLC. Like that's going to happen every time. Mm-hmm. So I think because of that, they can get away with more of the mechanical stuff immediately because they know they're going to use the civs as DLC for the most part. Now they've added mechanical stuff to Civ Six as well, but yeah, like it's much less of a step down uh, than especially other modern if strategy this, titles. Uh, especially if this move away from like full fledged expansions and more towards smaller, you know, bite size uh, DLCs and scenario packs and game modes uh, carries over into you know vanilla Civilization Seven. Yeah. Which I hope it doesn't. I hope they stick with full expansion packs because I've always liked that particular model with the uh, the Civilization games. But I hope they do both. They've been doing both for quite some time. I'd yeah. be surprised if they changed the model unless they are observing that one or both or things are not viable, which is unlikely. Yeah, both Civ Five and Six Civ Six like released the vanilla game, and then they had like what was it like six months to a year of releasing DLC Civilization packs with like scenarios and stuff like that, and then a full expansion with new civs and gameplay mechanics came out. Yep. And then there was a second expansion. And then previously you would get a spinoff game built on the same code. And it looks like this time we're getting DLC instead. Yeah. Instead of making a spinoff game, they're making like 10 mini spinoff games (laughs) in the same game. Game modes is what we would call them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Speaking of game modes, uh, Ethiopia pack, the governors now have secret society governors first. Policy cards now have their full description in the tooltip. Thank you. <laughs> Fixed problems in the Civilopedia. Made it so that the Civilopedia didn't leak information about unrevealed texts or civics in shuffle mode. Oh, could you just go into the Civilopedia and it would show you the prereqs? Yeah, no. apparently. <laughs> okay. <Whoop. laughs> I think the uh, leaking in Civ 4 was still more egregious. Unit pathing stuff you could do. Oh, yeah. Find where people are, like, immediately and such. Unit panel now updates at the end of the turn, so units go right place. Beliefs are now sorted by type in the religion screen. Government lens is switched to the proper palette so colorblind people can actually see it. Support for painting and selecting tiles in the world builder on touchscreen. Then there's a couple of console updates. I made sure that the loading animation showed up. Uh, Fixed an issue where the second profile would be missing DLCs. Fixed an issue where enabling Second civic shuffle caused incorrect mode information to appear and removed profile button prompt display and multiplayer staging on PS, whatever that means. And then let's go back and talk about the one thing we skipped entirely, which is the pirate scenario. R. So the oh. idea of the pirate scenario is you have a single ship, it has 300, exp- uh, 300 hit points, and your idea is to go around and steal ships or dig up buried treasure, visit the cities so you get taverns, and generally fight your way across the map. Um, I have played it several times. It is quite humorous, quite fun. 
it is very easily exploitable. That we'll get to later. But there are four factions. The Dread Pirates, who get a walk-the-plank ability that gives them instant sinking of enemy ship and plus three movement, plus five combat strength for five turns. And they get ten gold every time they engage an enemy unit in combat. And the Privateer, you get to steal ships and give it to your your patron government. You have a special patron government that you can see. One of the four uh, home, sit- home civs that you're technically fighting against. You get five infamous pirate points and 100 in gold for every city you give to them. Or, not city, ship you give to them. <laughs> There's no way you'd have cities in this game mode. Yeah. The swashbuckler allows you to double their movement for a turn for every six turns. And then they get plus one infamous pirate point for every 50 hexes they've revealed on the map. And then the hoarder has a chain shot ability, which makes them stop enemy ships for one turn. And then the mine, mine, mine passive ability, which unit maintenance cost is reduced by by three, plus 10 treasure points for burying treasure and 3% gold interest on their reserve. And the way you win this scenario, I guess I should probably explain that. You get one point every time you fight. You get a certain number of points every time you capture a ship, a certain number of points every time you bury treasure or discover treasure. And every time you kill a recognizable named infamous pirate, which is basically a barbarian ship that has three stars. And there's a bunch of relics that act as the culture system. Reduced maintenance costs by three. Gold maintenance costs increase, but 3% gold interest revenue. 10% gold per turn. Or no, just 10 gold per turn. 50% 50% chance of finding additional treasure maps when visiting a cavern. Every uh, attack of an enemy ship reduces its movement by one turn, by one point for the next turn. We can stop at any time. I'm just repeating all the yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I and Scott played a little bit last weekend with the, uh, while they were playing the regular multiplayer game. And, it came, and it's, it's a quick scenario. You know, it's it's fun because you can just drop into it and play it. It's like maybe 20 or 30 minutes. Yeah, 60 bit. turns. So it's just yeah. a, there's no a, city management. So it's just a victory yeah. point game first to get to a certain number of points, or is it a turn limit? And then Most points has... at the end. Points at the end, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, even I more like a board it. game. Yeah. But it's a fun little board game type of thing. Who did I take? I think I took the swashbucklers. And so me just sailing around and exposing tiles on the map, which is on the first game he and I played, which is accelerating my score quickly. You know, it was not hard to win on that one. But if you had, if you had, if you had four people playing and had all factions active, it might not be so easy. We had fun with it though, which is the important part. I have not yet had an opportunity to play the the Pirates minigame, but it uh, it is definitely on my list to try out. Definitely fun. I also never got to play the original Sid Meier's Pirates games, so this will... Do do either of you have any uh, 
opinion on like how this compares to the original Sid Meier's Pirates? Is it even close? Is, did they not even really try to recreate Sid Meier's Pirates, or what's the deal? They weren't trying to do that in a, in a board game format or anything. It's a fun, piratey-themed scenario. Yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff in Pirates that's very different. Yes, like, there's a lot more management-type things in Pirates, so... Because you can sell ships and stuff, and you can romance governors' daughters and capture cities, and... yeah. Yeah, my understanding was always that, like, Sid Meier's Pirates was more of almost like an RPG kind of, RPG management kind of game, and I'm imagining it took more than 20 minutes to uh, to play a, a game. Probably. Halfway. It was a standalone game, after all. But we have other news from the Nintendo eShop accidentally leaking <laughs> some information. Is this confirmed real? Yeah, uh, as far as I know, it is. Okay. Because there was some debate about that, but perhaps that has been put down. I mean, it it looks pretty legitimate. Yeah, it does. It would, yeah, if it were fake, it would be a very well done uh, fake. I always find it amusing when when retailers uh, put up information, you know, from a publisher prematurely. Like it's, I always just kind of, you know, Picard facepalm a little bit, and like, how does that happen? Uh, Usually someone's not thinking, would be my guess. Yeah. Either that or... Or, um... Issues with version control. It's like, Uh, oh, you added added this to the shop even though it's not supposed to be there. But what do we do about it? Well, we remove it as quickly as we can. Right. And hope nobody noticed. But of course, it's the internet. It's the internet somebody (laughs) knows. Yeah, once it's there, it's there forever. Yeah, I wonder what the over-under and, like, number of seconds is for something to be up and not get noticed. It might not even be one second. Well, I live in Vegas, so next time I'm at the sports book, I will ask somebody. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably get some strange looks. Yeah, probably. Hey, I don't, esports is becoming a thing. Who knows? I would not be surprised if one day I, I walk into uh, into my local sports book and there's you know odds up on the board for like StarCraft. Oh yeah, I would. I would not be surprised yeah. by that either. Especially if we have about a... this particular thing, I'd be surprised if any if you had any betting action on it. Uh, yeah, Vegas would be more than happy to take bets on anything if there's enough people willing to bet. Sure. And especially if, you know, like more pandemics and stuff are happening and actual sports keep getting shut down. I mean, we had a period of a couple months there where like actual regular ESPN was broadcasting like League of Legends tournaments. That was great. Though. <laughs> I never saw Civ tournaments on ESPN. Uh, not yet anyway, but uh, we're probably not too far from that. I don't think there are any official esports civilization I remember it isn't well made for that. I remember it's a talking design with, concept. Yeah, I remember talking about there being a a Civ esports league like on this show a couple years ago. You know, back when uh, Dan was still hosting. Uh, it was when the game first came out. Yeah, and there was a there was one of the big corporate team decided to start hiring people for Civ, and it never went anywhere. Yeah, I never heard yeah. anything about it after that. So I yeah. assume that it didn't happen. But revealed in this uh, leak 
We hear Babylon, led by Hammurabi. The civilization excels at science as well as government and infrastructure. There's also a Heroes and Legends game mode, which we don't know anything about, but we guess. Two unique improvements, the Mahavihara, the Mahavihara, which I assume is something to do with Nepal, and the Trading Dome. Six new city-states and 24 new great people. Which sounds pretty exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if those uh, new great I'm people are part of the... Funding. Science funding. <laughs> Standing army tax. No, science funding. Arts funding. I don't feel like declaring war in Grimbeck. I would need to train a lot before doing that. Yeah. And if I trained oh. enough to be good enough for that, I would probably want science funding as well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not argue with the guy who gets to nukes the fastest. So do we want to uh, put up our own uh, over, under, or odds or whatever on whether uh, Babylon will be a better science sieve than Maya? 60. Mm. Because so far we got uh, overpowered military civ, overpowered religion civ, overpowered military slash religion civ. <laughs> so do we get a uh, super overpowered science civ now? That will have to be nerfed in uh, two months. Probably. We already have some good science civs. I was going to say, so, yeah. Yeah. Korea. Yeah. I guess the question is, how is it going to compare right now to Korea and Maya? You know, because Maya also having come from an expansion, is probably a little bit more powerful now. Will Babylon be even extra more powerful? Don't know. We'll find out in a few weeks. All right. Now, for the moment we've all been waiting for, let's talk about how the pirate scenario is broken. <laughs> or more specifically, how to break it. Well, more yes. specifically, wow, it took Spiffing Brit less than a week to figure out how to break it completely. Well, he's a community yeah. helping him out. He doesn't find all these on his own. True, he, just, he just does the videos. I also, he does the videos well. I also would not be surprised if uh, he's one of those uh, YouTube influencers who's being given early access to the game. Oh, he says it. Oh, does um, he? I'll write in some of his okay. videos, yeah. Yeah, he'll even like say that they paid me to break the game for him and stuff sometimes. Yeah, I know. I think he said that with uh, Crusader Kings 3. I haven't heard any of that for any of his Civ videos yet, so I don't know if they're somehow giving him early... I don't know if you can give early copies of these DLCs, but maybe. I don't you, know. I'm sure they could if they wanted to. I don't know if they do it, though. And yeah. you wouldn't really need to, because if you have a community of people uh, looking up ways to break the game like this, it would not take much to find these kinds of interactions. Nope. Especially, like, old-school uh, stuff that happens game to game, like the, the 3% uh, interest thing. Like that, you could do that back in here. So, might magic. If you had enough money, then getting money based on your the money you already have it would just snowball. Like that's been around since before a good chunk of our listeners are born. So, people look for that stuff anytime a new game comes out. Pretty much. Yes, I'm sure all of us who played Civ Four remember the Einstein quote that compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. <laughs> yeah, true. It certainly is in gaming, even more so than in life. Because you can usually have broken economies in a way that just couldn't happen in your life. You just print money from nothing and not get hyperinflation. So this video is by our good friend Spiffing Brit. And uh, he... Yeah, he's a good friend. Huh? 
<laughs> yes, good friend, because he totally knows who we all are. Yes, he knows exactly <laughs> who we are, not. Um, <laughs> Thanks for all the content, though. <laughs> yes, he created, he figured out that if you turn off fast animations and you spam click on the visit tavern button before the uh, ship finishes its animation, you get to click on it multiple times. Which means basically what happens is every tra- you get like fi- if you have an auto clicker that does it automatically you get like sixty people you get sixty crew and you get sixty treasures on the map and every relic available which breaks the game entirely because then you start getting to the point where oh there's treasure on every tile and you get six hundred gold for every treasure or four hundred and that just breaks the game entirely. Also, even though it's not technically supposed to be allowed, you can capture cities in this scenario um, using special, uh, um, what what would you call them? (laughs) Special Legitimate tactics, (laughs) quote-unquote. I like the old special tactics quote from that one, StarCraft player. It's great. Yeah, and then the game is really confused because you're not supposed to have cities in this scenario. You should build and things, but it's like, huh? You can it doesn't even have a proper UI for it. You yeah. can build a shore party in like five to ten thousand turns. <laughs> but you can but you can take all that compound interest you've been accumulating and just buy fleets at that point, once you have one city. Yeah. Yeah. But you like you really don't need to because you've already broken the economy so much if you did the uh auto clicker mm-hmm. maneuver. Is like you, you're basically getting more than sixty times the resources that you're intended to get from each tavern visit. So it's just runaway income at that point, anyway. Like oh, your so ships you are super get, strong and everything. You can get three attacks per turn and still move after them. Yeah, and it's not even particularly hard to do. Yeah, craziness. The fun kind of old school broken, I guess. Special broken. Yes. Oh, fun times. All right, our next topic is a forum thread started on Civ Fanatics by user Casper uh, GM. Kaspergum? I assume Casper GN. Uh, titled Minor Pet Peeves and Annoyances You Wish the Developers Would Fix. Oh boy, I bet this is going to go on for a long time. <laughs> the OP starts out with uh, one of his or her own, which is Railroad Pathing. Uh, I assume they mean the paths that the railroads are drawn on the game and not the paths that unit takes that units take going over the railroads, which uh, I would not be surprised has its own problems. Uh, but yeah, the railroads... There's a picture there. Yeah, yeah so... he clearly means the way it's drawn based on the picture. And man, that, that's, that doesn't look nice, I agree. <laughs> I've seen worse. I'm not one for aesthetics, but that's a little silly. Yeah, it's because there's like these tiny connections in between the districts. It's like they didn't add something to the district to indicate a railroad pathing through. So you have these like little chunks of it connecting the districts. And it's not pretty at all. 
Well, it's not just that. It's even the um, the the tile at the bottom that's got the four gold on it has this weird thing where the railroad diverges from itself and then like crisscrosses itself again. Yeah, you can see where it's trying to fit into the pathways from the other tiles, but then the, the I guess that's a city state next door who doesn't have rails, so then it looks even more weird. Yeah, yeah, they really should have. Uh, I, I always had assumed that the uh, districts just automatically had railroads underneath them because I think the city centers do. And a common mistake that I made for a long time after the railroads were added to Civ Six was I would not build the railroads underneath districts because I thought they were already there. Ah, uh, yeah, it could be an issue. And it certainly doesn't yeah. help that there's no you know special graphic or anything to show that there is a railroad running through a district. Yeah, you'd think with all their graphical focus, they would do something about that. But I can understand why they wouldn't. Yeah, it's one of the rare areas in this particular game where the uh, the graphical uh, detail like does kind of uh, you know give up a little bit because it's yeah Civ Six is so good in so many other respects and I've I've talked a lot many times before about how I like how informative the the map visuals are and how much of the game state you can see on the map, especially compared to Civ Five, which was just awful in that regard. But this is one area where it just completely fails, and it's a shame. How about we talk about that thing where if you're holding a button when the turn rolls over, it stays depressed the whole time, so you keep scrolling infinitely around the world? I thought that had been <laughs> fixed at some point. And it was broken again. Oh, wonderful. Unfortunate. The joys of patching, just when you think you fixed it, nope. One of my really little pet peeves is uh, uh, I leave unit uh, animations on just because sometimes I like to watch them. But sometimes I also like to just skip ahead and try to do something. And one of the things that I'll often try to do is give another unit a promotion while a combat animation is happening somewhere else. And that uh, usually doesn't work. The uh, promotion panel usually ends up just closing itself when I click on a promotion and then have to open it again. So, yeah, better input buffering during uh, unit animations would be nice. I, it would, I would probably also unit buffering in general, because even if you play with animations off, you can get screwed over by input buffering. That, like, that's something that could definitely... Uh, that, that always bothered me in Civ Six. And uh, I, would, I would buffer inputs, and then they would like, count them sometimes, but not always. It isn't just that they don't input buffer, it's that they input buffer inconsistently, and I hate right. that. Yeah, and, and who knows, maybe that would also, uh, maybe putting in better input buffering would help with the aforementioned infinite tavern issue with the, the pirates mod. So who knows, maybe they'll actually have to fix that and put better input buffering in in the next patch. Watch, they just remove input buffering as a quote-unquote exploit fix, lol. Perhaps. (laughs) No, they're not Paradox. They probably won't do that. Probably. How about uh, every time you have an allied city-state and your ally attacks it and you can't do anything about it? Yeah, that's good. That is super frustrating. Yeah, you have nothing on the diplomatic screen to tell and go, Oi, don't do that. Or when you're in the middle of a war and you have to go through your friend or ally's territory in order to get to the guy that you have a joint war against, but then like your open borders or oh, yeah. alliance or friendship expires and all of your units get kicked out of their borders and sometimes they get kicked into enemy borders where they get instantly destroyed. Yeah, it would be really nice if there was like a notification or something that says, hey, your open borders is going to expire in one turn. Would you like to negotiate to renew it? 
or alternatively, just have those go on indefinitely until one party or the other uh, explicitly cancels it. Right there. Yeah. Why, can, why can't my alliances and open borders last until I say I don't want them? Having to re-up stuff all the time is annoying, and there's no like gameplay need for it. So yeah, that's definitely a pet peeve as well. What about those times when you try to redeclare friendship and the leader says no, and then they contact you the next turn asking you to declare friendship? And it's and sometimes it's not even the next turn; it's during their turn on the same turn because <laughs> it's, it's not actually technically the next turn yet. <laughs> or how about those times like you tell the AI I don't want to trade you with this, and they ask you again every turn and again and again and again. How about I, the now? First time I told you I'm not trading these relics. Maybe you might get the hint that I don't want to trade these relics for like I don't know twenty or thirty turns before you ask again. Or alternatively, uh, when you click, what will you give me for this? And they say, I won't give you anything. But then you add one gold to the deal, and suddenly they'll give you stuff. Uh, yeah, they, they need to adjust their pricing there. Hey, hey, pricing in general has always been tough on in Civ games. It's one of those things that I think is probably harder than expected to get right. Oh, here's one from a Beckhold uh, user. It's the ninth post. The fact that submarines cannot purposely ignore borders and go under ice, especially nuclear submarines. I did not know submarines could not go under ice in this game. Yeah, they could in previous games. Yeah, I had just always assumed that they could, and it was just never really relevant because, uh, you know, how often am I actually using, you know, submarines that late in the game? And after Gathering Storm, I mean, how often is there ice to go under anymore? So... Uh, and even when there is ice on the map, like that's very infrequently a path where you want to do it. Yeah, by the time you have submarines, it's a lot of the ice you would want to go under has already melted. Yeah, uh, I'm iffy. You know, I, I'm kind of meh on the idea of them uh, being able to go through borders, uh, but they should be able to go under ice. You can make a case for borders. I am not sure. But clearly, in Civilization, the game takes place on a flat Earth, and the entire perimeter of the Earth is uh, surrounded by a wall of ice, which is why the submarines can't go under it. That's true. It's ice all the way down, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And and all the way up, as well. Airplanes can't (laughs) go over it, either. (laughs) That's true, yes. Also ice all the way up, yeah. Yeah. Can't go over the Antarctic, or the Arctic, with an airplane. Nope. Why can't we save our game setup? Yeah, if you have a certain setup you like to do most of the time, why can't you save that? Why can't you save multiple setups and just load setup? Uh, I'm pretty sure you can because I use that sometimes when yeah. I'm testing things for my uh, strategy guides. When you're in advanced setup, I think there is now a button that says "Save Game Setup," oh. where it yeah. saves it saves all your options and the leaders that you have selected and all that stuff. And then you just go to uh, load and you can load it. I think we talked about that a long time ago on the show that they added that. And it went right back out of my brain, apparently. In that case, yay, thank you. It's an easy thing to miss, but yes, uh, I, it is there, assuming that you and I are talking about the same thing. I think it doesn't have save all the settings, though, because I've still seen people complain about it. But... Yeah, maybe not, but, you know, it, it might not so, work. Like, but there's still some there. pet peeve room there. Yeah. Uh, here's another user that wants less notification pop-ups on the sides. How about allowing us to decide what we see and don't see as notification pop-ups on the side? Like, you can toggle things. That would be great. 
Yeah, and this user specifically says that they don't need to see that an unmet player on the other side of the world built the Great Bath. Uh, I I kind of am going to say no. That definitely should be there, since only one player in the game can build a wonder, and you know you should want to know that a wonder you might consider building has been built. Uh, the thing I would suggest that they should do instead is they should have some indicator on the tech tree and the civic tree that shows that a wonder has already been built and that you cannot build it. Like put like a red cross through it or something like that so that you know not to go for that tech to build that wonder because it's already been built in case you missed the notification. I think it'd be fine that like if you don't want to see that stuff, just toggle it off, but... Yeah, I think but that's one of those things that I would leave on by default. And also auto-renewing traders. That would kind of be nice, yeah. There I is mean, at least the... the one button that just says renew existing trade route, but there is still a button you have to click to do it. Yeah. It's just little small quality of life things. Make the AI use the Air Force. That would be great, yes. AI, did you know you could use those planes to bomb things? Amazing, I know. Make them use nukes. So here's a good one from uh, at the uh, end of the first page from Isabel Braganka that says, be able to add a building to the queue if its prerequisite is in the queue, i.e. add a yes. university if the library is already in the queue. That would That'd be, be very nice. Very, especially when you're settling those mid-game cities, right? And you don't want to have to babysit them. You just want to be able to say, okay, place the encampment and then build the barracks and then build the armory. Yeah, yeah, that would be very appreciated. That's true. <laughs> and then Having queue up a bunch of trade. units. Yeah, like I'm trying to... I have the Resiquits. I'm up to where I can build universities. I want to put down the campus, tell it to build the library, and then build the university. Why do I have to wait and come back? After the library's built, to tell it to build the university. And it's especially funny because the game will let you build the same district or building in the queue multiple times, uh, which is uh, not allowed. And that used to be the source of an exploit uh, that would allow you to actually build duplicate districts. Uh, I remember Spiffing Brit did a video on that too, I think with uh, Molly building like multiple of his special fancy gold commercial districts. Yeah, because you got uh, free stuff, basically. They, they fixed that <laughs> so that you don't actually get duplicates of the district in the same city, but you can still add the district to the queue multiple times, uh, but you can't add the bank to the queue after you've added the commercial hub. Another weird pet peeve that I have with the uh, build queue is I've noticed that if you have a wonder, a world wonder in the build queue, and then you put something else in the build queue and then swap the order, the wonder on the next turn will have been removed from the build queue. And this has actually cost me uh, the ability to build wonders on a few occasions because I would have like, uh, I'd have a, a wonder in the you know first in my queue and then i would like say unlock industrialization or something like that and then i add a uh industrial hub in front of the wonder to the queue and then had items after the wonder in the queue and on the next turn the wonder disappears and then i finish the factory and instead of moving on to the uh wonder it starts doing the other things that were in my queue and then sometimes i forget to go back and add that wonder and then i end up not building the wonder because someone else beats me to it I don't know if other people see that. I don't know that I have. I mean, I, I don't... Usually I don't queue up the Wonders. That's usually I'm building them. Yeah, Wonders? Know, like, what? <laughs> Those things you capture? Yeah, it feels like... What? You mean the you mean the, the 8-axe Wonder? What? Yeah. 
<laughs> axes, huh? It'd be interesting if that was my choice in Civ Six. Yeah, well, that's what the old but version yes. was that I remember the most. Yeah, that or Horse Archers. I was definitely a Horse Archer fan in Civ Four. Here's another one on the second page from user 679X that says, Even when embarking and traveling across water is much faster than traveling on land, units will still disembark and travel on land. Oh, yeah. That, that's another one of those things that I think is hard to, for them to do in gaming. Because like, I see this in uh, EU4 and other strategy games as well. Like The logic for when to embark versus not, it, it just seems like they don't know how to do it. <laughs> It's like it's not easy to do because, man, it, it's always a problem. It's probably it's not, tr- it's not easy. The problem is a low priority. Yeah, the, I, my guess would probably that be might that be true, but it, it has to be at least minorly challenging, or it wouldn't be happening all the time as an issue. My guess is that they're looking for like the shortest path, and sometimes that requires going over land to get there. Yeah. And or may or they're weighing the shortest path too heavily in the logic as opposed to uh, weighing uh, turns to get there. Assuming that you know they do actually weigh. You know which game series got that right again is the Warlords series before it turned into uh, its modern stuff. But back when Warlords was a four X game straight up, Warlords two and three, the the unit pathing and embarkation logic in that game is actually really good, despite how old they are. Like that was back when games didn't even do that multi-turn pathing plans and somehow they got that right and 679 also has uh, another good one which is at when at war with a neighbor and fighting in neutral or enemy territory near the borders of other civs those civs ask you to move your units away and if you continue fighting which you know is what you're going to do that's why those units are there they consider it a broken promise and also the classic oh no there's a scout next to me get it away Yes. Yeah. Please do not conquer my entire civilization with your one scout. We are so afraid. Sounds legit. And another good one from 679X is, uh, it's sometimes difficult to tell for sure how much movement it will cost for any land unit to move to a given tile. Uh, I see that a lot if you move, use some of the unit's movement, but not all of it. Like, I don't think the game updates, uh the UI to tell where the unit can go based on what you've already done. You have to like click on something else and then click on the unit again for it to update that with the actual amount of movement points that are left. Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely not made clear consistently. Hey, nice. A a spam bot call. Cool. Spam bot wants to make sure you vote. (laughs) Not even. Well, maybe I'm not answering it. So, I, who am I to say what they're spamming me with? Oh, and another good one from 679 is no way to sort trade routes by highest yield. I'm assuming that the user means like total yield of all yields. Yeah, you can you can individually by category, highest faith, highest science, highest gold, but you can't you have to manually be looking at it to figure out what city is going to give you the highest total. Yeah, I could definitely see there would be value in that, especially when you do have alliances and you're getting like the extra, you know, faith or science or gold or whatever uh, from the type of alliance that you have active. Uh, Being able to just look for whatever's going to give you the most yield would be nice. I would also like to throw out there uh, as well the inability to um, escort 
trade units easily. Uh, that is a big frustrating pet peeve, especially considering that the game does have that you know escort button that attaches units to civilian units. And I know we've had the discussion before about how traders work differently, and it's you know there's complications about what happens when you go into other units ter- or uh, other nations' territories that you don't have open borders with. But there's got to be a way, a solution to that. That's you know a happy compromise. I think if you have um, like. Because they can pillage trader out even when the the trader's not there, right? So I think the way to go with that would be no. You have to be on the give tile the, with the um, give the unit strength that's escorting to the trade route when it gets pillaged, something like that. No, you work. you do have to be on the tile of the trader unit in order to uh, plunder the trade route. Okay, it, it isn't just the. Yeah, yeah, otherwise, yeah, then you just you make the unit attached, I guess. But yeah, yeah, then you'd have to deal with foreign border nonsense. Otherwise, there would be no reason at all to have the trader unit actually moving across the board because it's all per turn yield. It's not like you get a lump sum when the trader gets to the destination. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Anybody else want to throw out any pet peeves or bring up any good ones that they see in the thread? Well. When my cat lays in my hand while I'm playing, but that's not really Siv's fault. <laughs> yes, Faraxis, please fix that. Anti-cat. I think there's another one It was Isabel Braganza, that it was automate builders to repair. Matter of fact, just uh, worker automation in general, especially in the late game. You know. That's tough, though, because they have charges. Yeah, but even just But like you, don't, having- you don't spend charges on repairing, though. True, you, yeah, you should be able to automate repair, but automating other stuff is... Uh, more dangerous slash probably harder to implement well in comparison. And honestly, like the builders route too. Yeah, that would be nice, especially for the railroads. Uh, But uh, yeah, the, the issue with the builders also is they only have like, you know, three, maybe five, uh, six or seven charges. So like, it's not really that many additional inputs. Like you automate it and does three things. And then you have to build another one and automate that. Like you're not really saving that much. Phil yeah, would probably disagree, but... Uh, like, compared to all the other ways they could improve the input stuff, yeah, it, it, I, would say, I would agree that that's actually, it would be a more minor uh, UI improvement, for sure. So, I, and because you can't really trust automation to be effective in pretty much any strategy game ever, I, I'm okay with this, the way it is, in that regard. But yeah, like, route twos or automated repairs, that kind of stuff would be much nicer. Yeah, Route yeah, 2 would be good. Repairs, automated railroading or roading and stuff would be great. Yeah, because the building railroad does not cost you a charge for the military engineer, thank goodness. Uh, but it does cost uh, resources, so that could be a problem if you like run out of, you know, I think it's coal and iron, or is it just coal? Whatever. It, it costs, yeah, but if uh, you could set the route, then like you you know you're spending the resources, right? Yeah. So it's not that, yeah, that, that wouldn't be a problem, really. Build 2 type of thing. Yeah, yeah, and if you ran out, I assume the unit would just stop and then ask for new directions. Stop and you and go, oi! Yeah. We're out of stuff. Give me more. Oh, I'm sure if we come Can't back in a week it. or Something's two... build it. Something's in the way. I'm sure if we come back in a week or two, this thread will have many, many, many more posts. Probably. I like that StarCraft line. Alright, get out. 
No, no, no Majin. No, you're not Majin. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Polycast episode 372. I'm the main team, and I was joined by Canis Alvinus. Well, you were mostly joined by me. The other half was me with a sleeping and bubble over my head, just like in the TV shows. Makalua? Yes, I too require more caffeine at this point for my brain to finish waking up. And Mega Bears fan. We here at Polycast encourage all of our listeners to vote this coming Tuesday. We don't care who you vote for or what you vote for. Just please go perform your civic duty. Vote for Kanye. <laughs> okay, maybe not Kanye. <laughs> he said he didn't care. At this point, I really don't. <laughs> yeah, just make it over. Civilization 4, 3, 5, 6, Beyond Earth, Content, Copyright, Take-Two Interact, Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.